Am I turned on here? Can you hear me? Well, I have the honor of standing in this sacred place this morning. And I was talking to Twyla, uh, somewhat concerned because there's no clock up there anymore. And she said, not to worry. Whenever I'm through, she's going to turn off the PowerPoint. So I'll know that we're <laughs> through then. We stand on the threshold of another year. Another measurable segment of time has passed and another begins. The gift of another day and another year is a golden opportunity to begin again. Our God is a God of second chances, clean slates, and new beginnings. He's promised to forgive and forget, to empower and to inspire us to begin again. No amount of guilt can change the past, but God can forgive it. And no amount of worry will alter the future, but God has promised to perfect it. And no amount of trouble can defeat us if we are equipped with the resources that God has provided. That's what we want to talk about this morning. I'm going to try to abbreviate this lesson, so if you find gaps in it, that's the reason why. We need to believe that God has provided these resources to help us in the unrelenting struggles that this life brings. Events we don't understand. An enemy that we cannot see. Behavior we cannot explain. And evil we cannot comprehend. The subtitle that John has given to this series should not escape us. The mystery of us. He's studying the book of Ephesians. The mystery of me, of my life, on this tiny planet oasis in the vastness of space for a short period of time. What's the purpose of it all? Why am I here? It's inconceivable that the unique features that make up our habitation were just a series of accidental cosmic circumstances. We are here because God is there. And you are here for a purpose. Mark Twain once said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I hope we can learn why today. Because that's part of what Paul is telling us. The mystery of us is that we have both a temporal purpose and an eternal purpose, which has to do with God's preparation for us in an eternal habitation with Him. Our temporal purpose is to grow and to bring glory to Him. Just as we spent nine months in the womb of our mother, so this world, this life, is another womb of preparation. The gestation period for each one is the length of their life. A time to grow and to develop. Paul says that now God has made us for this very purpose. He states emphatically why God created us. And the context in 2 Corinthians 5 
is because he's someday going to transform our bodies into something that is permanent and imperishable. Something that will overcome death and where we'll have an eternal abode with God. But there are powerful forces that thwart our purpose, that hinder our growth. We have destructive tendencies we don't understand. We have conflicts that challenge our patience. We have confusion in this life. This is the text we want to look at today. The battlefield of life. Ephesians. Let me see if we can get the text up there. Not working. Well, then we'll read it. Let's turn to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our wrestling, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of Christ. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. The battlefield of life is what Paul is talking about and how we can arm and prepare ourselves for the inevitable conflicts that we will encounter. By being born into this world, we are thrust into a struggle, not just physical, but spiritual. The trouble is universal, it's impartial, and it is inevitable. No life is immune from it. Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a greater weight of glory. So we can face and expect to face many battles in life. Some of them will be physical, emotional, mental, social, financial, relational, but they're inevitable. And because of this, Paul said we need both inner fortifications and we need to put on the whole armor of God. He says that to remain standing when everything is falling around us, to not be able to collapse when despair strikes us. Someone has said that physical strength is measured by what we can carry and inner strength is measured by what we can bear. 
Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was about strengthening their inner being by the power of God's Spirit. By God's Spirit. That strengthening, Paul mentions, is in two ways. By growing the faith of Jesus Christ in our heart and by knowing and understanding, coming to a knowledge of the love of God. Paul concludes now the book. This is a conclusion that he's given. His prayer for the Ephesians was to strengthen their inner man. And now he concludes by saying to take up the armor of God against the spiritual foes that we have. To Paul, the whole universe was a titanic struggle between good and evil. And the key word he uses is stand. To stand and hold your ground whenever the attacks come. When he says, when the day of evil comes. What day do you think that is? When the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand. Let me tell you what it means. It means the worst day of your life. It means the most horrible experience you're going through. It means to stand whenever you hit rock bottom and then the bottom drops out from under you. That's the day of evil. Oh, I've had many of them. It should be plural. Not one day, but many days. Because they're coming to all of us. And when Paul says our wrestling, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that is hand-to-hand combat. That's what he's talking about. That each person will have his own personal conflicts in this life. Paul refused to be discouraged or depressed regardless of what was happening around him. So he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, we do not lose heart. We're not going to lose heart. Though the outward man is wasting away, yet the inward man continues to be renewed. He said, we are pressed on every side, but not crushed. He said, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted by men, but not abandoned by God. We are struck down to the ground, but we're not destroyed. We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul's experience inspired Kipling to write, we must meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. Imposters. Triumph and disaster. They're imposters. Well, this life is not what it is supposed to be. It it is what it is. And what it is can bring pain and what it does leave scars and calluses, disappointments and regrets. We all suffer from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We're going to lose many of the battles in life. Oh, I've lost so many of them. I've lost them. But we haven't lost the war. That's the thing. We may lose battles. We may suffer some defeat occasionally, but not utterly or finally. And that's the great message that Paul is giving us here in these closing remarks. The history of the human family is one of warfare and struggle. 
The landscape of our planet reveals the littered debris of shattered dreams, wasted lives, suffering, hatred, bitter conflicts, permanent scars. You know, a California pathologist once made the shocking statement after doing hundreds of autopsies, he said that two out of three deaths that he's examined were premature due to a smoker's lung, a drinker's liver, and a loafer's heart. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. The, the age, the average age of an American now has been diminished and dropped as a result of the epidemic proportions of drug abuse and death. Suicide has increased among the young. Anarchy, evil, and horror seem to be a dominant aspect of every time the news comes on. Murderness, murder, madness, and mayhem. So before we discussed this enemy that we have and why things are as they are, I want to give two disclaimers. I wish I could put them up here, but something fouled up. The first... Oh, it is? Well, I can't see that. I'm looking down here. Thank you, Twyla. Good grief. This is my disclaimer. Thank you. I, didn't, I, I thought I'd have a monitor down here. The disclaimer. My ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts your thoughts, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. If we could just remember this. So I'm giving these disclaimers because I don't know all the answers and we will never know all the answers. But the hyperbole here, as far as the heavens are above the earth, we mentioned this in the class the other day, the closest star is only 4.3 light years away. That means you could reach this near star, Alpha Centauri, if you could go at the speed of light for four years and three months. If you traveled at the most rapid speed of any spacecraft ever developed, 18,000 miles an hour, you could reach the closest star in 25,000 years. The point is, God's saying, you will never understand my ways and my thoughts. So don't be arrogant enough or pompous enough to think that you can. Well, we have an enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's a conflict with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul uses this five times. We wrestle or struggle in a personal way. Well, let's see if we can try to understand exactly what Paul is talking about here. Can you identify with this great apostle whenever he gives us his own spiritual autobiography in the seventh chapter of Romans? This is what this godly man who had seen Jesus Christ said. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. 
Have any of you ever felt like that? He talks about the law of his mind, which is his real desire, and the law of his sin, which is his evil nature. And he said they're in conflict. What I want to do, I do not do. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death like a corpse dragged her, that he drags around? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, God requires that we believe in Him, that we acknowledge Him. Without faith, we cannot please Him. But this is not true of the devil. It's a matter of total indifference to Him if you believe He exists or not. This belief in a personal Satan is unacceptable to many people. They believe the devil is in reality man's invention to account for his own weaknesses. By far the most dangerous enemy we have is not only one we don't see, but one we don't even believe in. I used to love to watch the Flip Wilson show, funny comedian, and he had this segment in there of Reverend Leroy, and the name of the church was What's happening now? Isn't that a good name for a church? The church of what's happening now? And every time you get into a bad situation, Reverend Leroy would say, the devil made me do it. And so he has been a convenient scapegoat for a lot of people's malfeasance through the years. The eternal cosmic scapegoat. Well, the devil may have prompted, urged, influenced, tempted, induced, or swayed you, but he did not make you do it. Let's look at this creature here. See what is, what, what, This is what the Bible says about him. First of all, he's an adversary. That's what the Hebrew noun Satan means. An adversary. Peter said, be careful. Be self-controlled. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is an adversary. He is a serpent in Genesis. The accuser in Job. The evil one who plants the bad seed in the parable of the tares. The God of this world who masquerades as an angel of light. The tempter. A murderer. A liar. The father of lies. More is said in the Old Testament or in the New Testament than in the Old Testament about this notorious enemy of man. Like I said, he doesn't care whether you believe in him or not, but let's just see what the Bible says about him. In the Old Testament, the most biggest discussion about Satan is how he intervenes and how it is revealed in this cosmic battle with Job over his loyalty, over his motives, and the integrity. And it is revealed there that he can only act within the power and the authority that God has given him. Jesus warned, when tempted, no one should say he is being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil. But when we are drawn away by our own evil desire, and then that desire conceived brings forth sin and then death, the genealogy of how this works. Well, how can we process the devil? How can we relate that to our life right now? 
When we go back to Genesis 3, what is Satan doing with Adam and Eve? He's not possessing them. He's not controlling them. He is lying to them. He doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh. He leaves lies in your heart and deceptions in your mind. I've got to get through this lesson. We're out of time already. Paul said we're not ignorant of his schemes. Well, let's see if we can identify the devil's schemes. He said we're not ignorant of them. You must not be ignorant of them either. Deception is probably the greatest danger we face in life, being deceived and tricked and misled. Paul said, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off the old self. We deceive ourselves in so many ways by thinking that we can get away with certain things. The deception is this. Before we commit the act that we shouldn't commit, the anticipation gives pleasure or excitement. The memory of it, pain. Before the act, we think of the gain. After the act, we forget that and have only the guilt. We deceive ourselves when we put value on things that we think will bring us a whole lot more happiness. We deceive ourselves when we think we're better than what we are. When we think we're holier than what we are. Then if we get more, we will be happy. Whenever we say to ourselves, what I don't have is better than what I do have. When I get what I want, I'll be happy. We deceive ourselves when we think that we can abuse another person and get away with it. Whenever we think that we can mock God by deceiving ourselves, God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he will also reap. The deception. The second scheme of the devil is lying and believing lies. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies and in a humorous way. I think Jesus said that's his native language. He's a liar. Peter questioned Ananias. A couple that sold their possessions, brought them to the apostles, said, look what we're doing. And they were holding back some of it, trying to deceive the apostles. Peter said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? They fell dead. Our thinking is corrupted. And Paul says that this temptation is something that we can overcome because we will not be tempted above that which we are able. That's the third scheme of the devil. The whisper of temptation seems to be always louder than the voice of conscience. Put on the whole armor of God. And that's what the point here in the closing comment of Paul is. Put on, first of all, the belt of truth. The truth that God is the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. The breastplate of righteousness shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, 
History records that one Roman soldier had 220 darts in his shield. They're made of wood, overlaid with leather to extinguish the flaming arrows that would come. 220 darts. John said, we will overcome the world because of our faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray always. This is the armor that God wants us to put on. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. His mighty power. Seven things. And no doubt this was all prompted because at the time Paul was shackled to a Roman soldier. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. A number of years ago, Jackie and I went to a play called The Man from Lamachi. <clears throat> and in that great play, there's a signature call, song called The Impossible Dream by Richard Kiley. And the lyrics of that song kind of summarize what this lesson is about. To dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not to go. To right the unrightable wrong and to love pure and chaste from afar. To try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star. This is my quest. To follow that star no matter how hopeless, no matter how far. To fight for the right without question or pause. To be willing to march, march into hell for that heavenly cause. And I know if I'll only be true to this glorious twist that my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest and the world will be better for this. That one man scorned and covered with scars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable, the unreachable, the unreachable star. God has made it possible for all of us to reach that unreachable star by Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way this morning, let's do that while we stand and sing. Keep the eyes of my heart.